1: going to be covered by the Saints for a
0: touchdown!
2: he or inside pass to everything Saints football. And
0: the kick is good!
2: We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60 to practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That
0: is going to be a touchdown! Taysom Hill
2: to Taysom TD! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Inside Black and Gold, we are Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak coming to you with more great Saints podcast goodness for your soul this Mardi Gras season. That's a,
3: that's one name for it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> How has your Mardi Gras season been going, Mr. Jeff? been going good it's it's that annual time of
3: year where my like shoulders are sore and i can't quite figure out why and then i'm like oh it's because holding my arms over my head for like 90 minutes straight is not like a normal activity that i do so i wake up in the morning and it feels like i went and worked out but really i just got drunk and and yelled at people on floats and then caught trash fought with (laughs) fought with a lot of people to catch trash did you really? You like boxing out and everything? Future trash. That's what I call it. The parade. <laughs> no, no. I I only go for the good stuff, right? Like I'm not I'm not like boxing people out to get like a bag of beads. But if I see like some nice beads, like flickering, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna rip those away from a child. I would do that. <laughs> I'm stronger than them. Yeah. Any kind of like
2: light up swords. That's mine.
3: Yeah. See, I don't like that. Like that's the, that's like primarily what I refer to as future trash. Right. That people get so excited of for in the moment, because it's like you're gonna enjoy that for two minutes, and then you're gonna realize, well, I can't catch stuff while I'm holding it, and then you're gonna throw it on the ground. Like that's what's gonna happen, or you're gonna hand it to a child, and he's gonna do that, or he or her is going to do that for you. But that's yeah, but like you know, every now and then, there's like the big the big beads. I've never successfully caught like those gigantic, yeah, like almost like Christmas ornament beads. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they look they're ginormous. Yeah, but I do enjoy me Endymion just because like. There's no signature throw. It's just like a hailstorm of of trinkets coming out, to, out of the sky. Like
2: it's all it's very much a volume parade. The big yeah, the big one in the area for whatever the kiddos were all grabbing the light up sparkling rings and watches.
3: Yeah. So they or weren't like, watches like, though. They were just like wrist like things. Okay, yeah, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They didn't Anything tell times. Right. They were just wrist blinkies. I don't know. Anyway, Anyway, um, back to Saints football, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it's, well. this will post on Mardi Gras Tuesday, on Fat Tuesday. So enjoy it if you're heading out to parades. But yeah, so we're going to talk about, we We kind of established, you know, the first segment of a lot of these episodes, it was already this anyway. So we're going to just kind of like, for season two, we're going to like make it official. Like, this is going to be kind of the rundown segment. We're going to call it the rundown. We're going to go through a bunch of new stuff. Like stuff that's happened that that isn't worth talking about for an entire podcast episode, and we're going to kind of go through it kind of rapid fire, and then so that's what's going to be here, and we're going to go through that in a minute. The second and third segment of this is I rounded up about two dozen mock drafts from the mock draft universe, and I kind of established all the picks that went for the Saints, and you know some of them are multi-round mock drafts, but we're going to go through the first-round picks and like the most popular names and positions in that second segment, and then the third segment. We're going to go through this the second and third round because those are are the only consistent ones. Like I think I only found one seven-round mock draft, which is fine because it's all guessing anyway. Um, But yeah, so that's going to be it. But the first thing we do have to talk about is the thing that happened on Friday that we didn't get through in the last episode. And that is Alvin Kamara has officially been indicted. I think we brought it up in the mailbag session because it happened while we were recording and we didn't really get to it. But, yeah, so Alvin Kamara got indicted last week along with the three others, uh, one of them being Bengals cornerback Chris Lamons. And so he will be in court, or he's
2: supposed to be in court on March 2nd. So it's going to be a thing. Yeah, that's real quick. I mean, and I just wondered how, how long will that next process take for him? Just because I'm wondering, after we get a concise ruling of what's going to happen with him, when the NFL has finally something to levy a suspension on, you know, is this going to be something carrying the training camp where we still don't know what kind of punishment we're waiting for, for Kamara. Cause, cause I think we all come to that, that realization that it, in some way, shape or form, he's going to miss some time. It just now how much and how long is it going to take for them to, to, to hand that down this season, because it took forever. Last year, obviously, there, there was no no resolution at all.
3: Um, but yeah, so we we actually talked to a criminal defense attorney and a podcast host himself. He hosts an auction, a fantasy auction draft podcast. Drew Davenport, and here's what he had to say regarding you know potential suspensions and and, and whatnot.
1: People hear the word indictment and they get a little bit um, worked up about it. Yeah, but I would mm-hmm. caution everyone to say I don't think the case changed a lot materially yesterday just because there's an indictment now. That was always where this was headed. Uh, I think there was maybe some hope that this would get worked out prior to the indictment, but that just didn't happen, and they had several negotiations, court dates, where the case was unable to be settled. And what I've been saying since the beginning, this is a difficult case to settle from both sides. Uh, He's charged with a a felony that carries mandatory prison time. And on the other hand, the the state has a witness, or excuse me, a victim, uh, alleged victim here who has a lot of injuries, it's really hard to settle this case. Uh, it was always going to head towards the indictment. Now the case is really underway, but it hasn't materially changed the situation. It's a, it's a nasty charge, uh, but it sounds to me like they're gearing up for a fight. And we got something interesting yesterday from what his attorneys said. His attorneys made a statement, and we haven't heard a lot from them about what they're going to do or how they're going to defend him. And we got that little nugget yesterday that they said that they're going to argue self-defense. And also, defense of another, which is are both, you know, uh, probably what we would guess they were going to use, but that's important information that we have now. And, you know, if you've seen the video, I don't know how they're going to argue self defense, but uh, there's probably a lot of things that we don't know about this case yet. So that's where we are right now. No
3: question. And, uh, Drew, I do want to give you credit. So I remember we had you on, I think it was Mike and Bobby had you on. Uh, last year and you were the first person to point out like this is probably not going to get settled this offseason and we're probably going to get through the entire 2022 season before any even considered suspension happens because it's going to take this long time to to play out so I want to give you credit for that one we had a local defense attorney on Craig Mordock yesterday and one of the things he talked about was how you know the the potential whatever comes from it is quote-unquote probatable and I do want to get some I don't know explanation like what does that mean when you talk about something being probable as in terms of what the sentence is.
1: It isn't it isn't. I mean uh, the charge itself has mandatory time. That's that's right. not something a judge has a discretion over. However, um I said this yesterday and I've been saying this all along. I don't believe they'd be taking this hard of a line if they didn't think they had something um and when I may, and when I say they I mean uh Chimera and his defense team. So I think they've got something there. I, my guess is that it's going to end up being a charge that doesn't have any mandatory time if it ends up getting settled. And so I think that's probably what he means. That, that I think that there is a situation where he escapes uh, a lot of legal consequence. Mm-hmm. But I really believe that the legality, yes, it's difficult right now what he's facing, but I think that at some point that will get resolved in a reasonable fashion, but he's really got to worry about the league because the league has in their personal conduct policy that aggravating factors in these type of situations do matter. And there seems to be a lot of aggravating factors, especially if, if it's to uh, be believed what they're alleging in the civil suit, that there's recording of him after the incident. So that all spells trouble when Roger Goodell's uh, looking at this case and deciding what to do.
2: We are expecting some kind of punishment, obviously, to be uh, handed out to Alvin Kamara, and a lot of people have been speculating different amounts of time. Can you pinpoint a at least range where you think that would be amount of games that the NFL would end up handing down to him as a suspension?
1: So it is hard, but I will say this the six games number that keeps being thrown out there, there is a basis from the personal conduct policy that people are getting that six games. But I want to caution everyone because that provision in the personal conduct policy says six games for felonious type assault. So if he's not found guilty of a felony assault and he's only found guilty of a misdemeanor, that six games becomes a little bit irrelevant because they don't have to follow that. That's not in the policy. So then they're kind of free to do whatever they want. But I still think though, that that's a, a starting point because if the NFL looks at this and thinks it's as bad as it, as it appears from the outside, we could still be talking about six and it could go up from there. But I think that it's possible it gets resolved in the four to six uh, game range uh, with eight uh, certainly being within the range as well. But sitting here in February, there's a wide range of outcomes here. But I'm thinking in four to eight is, is where I've landed in recent days. But, yeah, and I think it's
3: a it's a good topic to get into on this episode because what happens with Alvin Kamara, I don't even know if it's directly going to impact what the saints do in the draft, because either way, knowing what you know, and knowing that it's probably going to be an extended suspension, the same reason I thought they were going to do this last year. I think they are going to have to look at running back. So I think that'll be kind of lead into that discussion. Well, because if you're looking at a running back in the second round, it might be because you think you're going to be without Alvin for an extended period of time. And so you need a guy who would be ready to play this year? Yeah,
2: most definitely, and I think that's a huge must. Obviously, everyone's been focused on quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. But yeah, that running back position, other than Alvin, right now the only one on on the roster is Eno Benjamin. And I know you were kind of sour on the lack of usage for him. Maybe he could get some more touches this coming season, but I don't expect Ingram to be back. And it wasn't. And if, it, if he is, I don't think it'll be this huge role, even of what we've, we've used to see him as just like a supplement to Camara. You need much more than that from your number two back right now. The only reason I'm annoyed at
3: not using Eno Benjamin is because I think because you didn't use him and you don't really get a picture of what he can do. What he could do, right. You can't say, well, he's going to be the guy, right? Like you don't know. He might be the guy. But you can't say that for sure. How could you? You haven't seen him in an off in the offense for more than like two carries in a game. Anyway,
2: but, but we um, we saw him against the Saints have a hell of a game.
3: Yeah, yeah. That, right. It, it makes no sense. It's, it's just dumb. Anyway, uh, we we already I already ranted about that. But yeah, so the next item on the agenda, Derek Carr was this visiting the Jets over the weekend. I, I'm not gonna spend too much time getting into oh, what does this mean? What does this mean? He's going to do his kind of tour. We're going to establish what teams are in the running and then you're going to start negotiating. But right now, I think this is more of like a fact-finding thing. I think the Saints are very much in that discussion. And from there, it's going to be, okay, who gets eliminated throughout this process? But So right now, I think you're putting the Saints in there. You're putting the Jets in there and they're kind of just waiting and seeing. But the good news for the Saints is if they bring in Derek Carr, Ronald Curry will still be around to coach him because... He is sticking around in New Orleans. He had interviewed for the Bucs job. They filled that with Dave Canales. And then he had interviewed for the Broncos job, but he will be sticking in New Orleans, according to reports. So that's a good thing.
2: Yeah, like the, there's some continuity with the coaches. Uh someone were not losing. It seems like after the offseason of so many of the guys sticking around, this, this year was a, a pretty big exodus of assistance. But back with the Derek Carr thing, I laugh too. Just when anybody visits anywhere, it's like, everything went so well, you know, obviously the jets are now, uh, they feel like they can get into that championship window with David Carr leading the way there's a picture of them. There's a picture of them out to dinner, Derek Carr smiling and people are, are reading into that. Oh, look, 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 he's having fun. No kidding. You're getting wined and dined, right? It was like when
3: when Sean Payton was interviewing with the Cardinals and everyone was like, oh, it was an eight-hour interview. It must have gone well. I'm like, that's just how long head coach interviews are. Um, Oh, he got in the team president's car. And I was like, yeah, he was probably giving him a ride home. You're going to make him get in an Uber? Crazy (laughs) stuff, right. That's that's why it's like, I don't want to get into too much because that's really what it is. It's all just rumor and innuendo, and it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing until the numbers start getting thrown around. And so that's a good segue into the next item here is restructures, baby. It is restructure season. Cha-ching, yeah. Cha-ching. The Saints have already restructured two deals. That is Marcus May. They saved about $4.85 million on that restructure. And Eric McCoy, who signed his extension last year. So this is the first kind of big money restructure that they can do with Eric McCoy. And so that's going to save them about $8 million. So having started in the range of 60 million over the cap that you're trying to work down from, they are now down to about 46 million over the cap, but you can see like that's already a big chunk taken out of it. And that's two restructures. And it, it goes quickly when you start going down the line and the question becomes not whether you can get there. We know they can get there and that's the minimum they have to do is get there. It becomes how much space do you need to free up beyond that? Right. If you sign a Derek Carr, you will have to go basically balls to the wall and and get as many of them done as you can. If you don't do that, if you try to be a little more judicious with how you spend that quarterback money, then you only have to basically clear it. And then as you sign people, you're going to go. But it it does become complicated because I think if you want to project confidence to Derek Carr, that you're going to bring him in you want to prove that you can create the space in advance. And so I think they're going to be motivated to get it, get this done.
2: Yeah. And I, th- I think there's a, still a number of obviously restructures they can do to get down to that number. Then, you know, it's, it's a, a game, this team, we see them play every year and they were in on Deshaun Watson for crying out loud last season. And we know the money it took Cleveland to, to get him over there. And so I, if the Saints want somebody, I'm definitely confident in the fact that there, there's not there's not going to be a money issue that stops them from getting their person.
3: No, and, and I mean, like, it's it really is not difficult to get to that. Like, 46 is nothing when you look at the restructures on the table. And, and keep in mind, like, these are planned restructures. These aren't, like, emergency, oh, how are we going to get – like, this was the plan all along. And the only question is how many of them you're going to take advantage of. Like, this was already the idea would you like to be able to get through with not using as many? Yes. But this was the goal. And that's why it's not that difficult to find the numbers, right? So you need to clear 46, right? So Cam Jordan, you can restructure his deal and save up to 10 million, Well, you're down to 36. Marshawn Lattimore, you can restructure his deal, save another 10 million. Okay. You're down to 26. Ryan Ramchek, you can restructure his deal and save another 10 million. Now you're down to 16. Andres Pete, you can restructure... I don't know if you will, because of the injury history, you might want to keep that on the decks just in case you have to do something there. So skip that one. Alvin Kamara is dealing with some legal stuff. I think you're going to keep that one where it is because of how the awkwardness of his situation could develop, right? Jameis Winston, I also don't want to mess around with because I think I'm cutting him anyway. And that'll save you about $4 million, but we're not even looking at that right now. So Taysom Hill, restructure his deal. You save about $6.5 million. So you were down to $10 million. Demario Davis, you can restructure and save about six million. So now you are down to four million, sure. and then Tyron Matthew, you can restructure and save four million. So not even taking advantage of all of them, right? Like we skipped over Andres, Pete, Alvin Kamara, and Jameis Winston, who would combine to have about twenty-two million dollars in restructure potential, and we still got there easily with a lot more room to go on that on that table if you do want to bring in a Derek Carr like you could for, for instance you could restructure James's deal and still cut him but you would obviously accept a lot more dead money in that in that situation right so that's that's where you make the decision of is it worth it because it will make things more difficult next year but then you have your quarterback and you're just trying to make it work again so that's kind of where it is and it's always funny this time of year to listen to people lose their minds when they see the number and like how could they possibly navigate this and it's like you just weren't paying attention last year or the year before that or the year before that or the year before that.
2: Anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's just a question of who you're doing it with. In my opinion. I'm interested obviously to see how this situation goes with Derek Carr, because I don't know, you know, what other free agent options the saints are going to be considering after that come, you know, in the quarterback realm. So yeah, if, if that ends up falling through after his little tour goes around, just something to look at just because the, the quarterback number is going to be the biggest that they have to deal with and is the most concerning when you're looking at the salary cap.
3: Yeah, and and the simple thing to do would be to bring in a rookie. But I sure, do think but... this team wants to bring in an established guy. I don't think – and for, for a few reasons. One being I don't think the head coach is on particularly stable footing. Like You could always bring in a rookie under Sean Payton and be like, yeah, if, if things don't go well, you at least have an established head coach who you'll be able to kind of ride with. Uh, and I don't know if that's the case with D.A. And so that's awkward, right? You don't want to spend a premium asset on a rookie quarterback and then have, like, like look at the Cardinals, right? When they drafted Josh Rosen, and then Cliff Kingsbury gets hired in the next draft, they're drafting a quarterback and they're trading Josh Rosen for peanuts.
2: No, I think you're right there, Derek. Kind of, you know, Dennis Allen's, he knows his, where he stands right now, kind of thing. And, you know, going with that young gun is, I think everyone's wish and desire, but when it comes down to it, what's going to win him football games and keep his job. That's why I, I'm still with you too. I think this, they're looking for a more established veteran guy. Not, not, not so much, you know, look a guy like Andy Dalton, but I think that's like your break in case of emergency option right there. And you, you do bring him back kind of thing and that's when you you really start to target and maybe move up in the draft for that signal call I don't know but to to me like that that's your perfect situation if you do have if you're bringing back a guy like Dalton obviously you have to get that younger QB the next QB that that new model in to try and groom something for the future
3: yeah. I mean, I just think one way or another, you're going to try to go after an established guy. I, I don't think it's going to be Andy Dalton. Like I think it might be Jimmy Garoppolo. It might be Lamar. Maybe you break the bank and try to bring him in. I don't know. I just, I find it very unlikely that this team is going to draft a quarterback,
2: expecting him to start Agreed. by the end of the season, right. Or oh, next okay. season. I would say your the hope is always by the end of the year, the guy you're taking in round one, at least has taken over. I feel like, Right, but but it, 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 think about how you would have to
3: get to that scenario, which would be you are playing poorly enough that the best option is to put in a rookie quarterback who you know is based... Like, look at the Falcons this year, right? Like, yeah. they knew the second they went to Desmond Ritter, they were effectively punting any, you know, pipe dream chance they thought existed to get to the playoffs because he's going to struggle, right? His first start didn't even throw for 100 yards. I don't know if that means you're bad, but it definitely means you're not going to be good this season. And so, like... If you're doing that and you're Dennis Allen, are you are you risking losing your job because of that? And so like that's it becomes really complicated. Yeah. Um, But either way, it's we're going to get more into the quarterbacks in the the mock draft. So we can move on from that. The final thing we can talk about. The Saints have struggled with injuries over the last two seasons, three Hmm. seasons. Right. One of the first things that Dennis Allen did in taking over this staff, it was like one of the few changes he made in year one. Was, was was moving on from Dan Dalrymple, who was like the forever strength and conditioning coach for the Saints. And so wouldn't you know it, Dan Dalrymple is going to be the strength and conditioning coach for the Broncos next season. Good luck. I think he did I, fine. Yeah, I haven't seen any mean tweets from Michael Thomas about Dalrymple, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's mean to everybody else. He fires off these angry tweets and then deletes them. But yeah, you know, but it is funny because I think it was really easy to heap all the blame on Dan Dalrymple and company and the medical staff. But then you got rid of him and you kind of re... what you, What's the word? Uh, retooled? Yeah, retooled that entire staff, kind of moved pieces around, brought in Matt Ray and blah, blah, blah. And I would argue you had just as bad injury luck this year. Like it wasn't better. I Definitely mean, it might've been slightly better, but it only feels that way because you didn't have COVID mixed in. That, that kind of made it worse. Like when you're talking about all the starters you went with, a big reason for that is because in week 16 i think it was week 16 the dolphins game you had like 22 new starters almost like <laughs> so like that's the reason you set the record and i would argue on an injury from an injury perspective this year and last year 2022 and 2021 were about the same
2: yeah i just think about like even some of the injuries that could be deemed a uh, mismanaged Jarvis Landry is one that jumps out, obviously to me after he suffered that ankle issue and then came back too early. And then he lost a bunch more time. And it just, it seemed like a wasted season for him of what could have been. Well, he New came Orleans. back immediately. Yeah. Right. Like he didn't miss a game. And that's what annoyed me is like throughout training camp.
3: The one thing you could say for this staff is they played it safe with injuries and they didn't, they didn't, <laughs> move anyone onto the field too early. And they had this big ramp up thing. They said ramp up over and over and over again. But then you get into the season and this guy has an ankle injury who he, he definitely should not have played through. And he's out there playing in London. Like, come on. I have a strong feeling that if he just had taken the time and recovered from that, he might have been a more productive receiver down the final four or five games of the season, right? Like, at a certain point you have to save a player from themselves <laughs> and i think that was a very clear instance of that and it's like where did that medical staff go that i saw throughout training camp that was like uh uh-uh, uh uh-uh, get off the field you're you're you've got a sore hamstring you know like it's it, anyway it it was very incongruent with like the idea that they had brought in and so who knows maybe maybe that was a year one thing maybe it is a transition that they had to make and maybe next year with with kind of one year into that whole sports science thing they can be better. But either way, Dan Dalrymple is going to bring the old school mechanics out to Denver with, with Sean, and we'll see how that goes for him.
2: Yeah, there seems to be a lot of old school methods going out to Denver. I'm still curious to see if that other Ryan boy ends up joining Sean out there.
3: Yeah, Rexy. Sexy Rexy. It is I, funny. I, I, like, right. You're like, right you have all these like super modernized systems. And one thing you could criticize Sean for is he did not adapt with the years, you know, like Mm -hmm. he he always kind of did his own thing and you give him credit for that. But like, you know, you see guys like Nick Sirianni who I don't really like as a coach, but I do like conceptually, like he runs a very college type scheme. He does, the RPO thing, like you will not get let off the hook when you stop someone on fourth and short. Like they're going to go for it every time and they're going to get it like 95% of the time. And it's got to be infuriating to to coach against and to play defense against because you, you're exhausted. And you're like, oh, we stopped them on third down. But it's like that was really like second down because you know they're going to go for it. The second they get past midfield and they get third and five, two
2: plays every time. They're you know going to try mean? and stop the tush push though now.
3: Well, sure. But, like, either way, <laughs> like, my point is, like, that's got to be exhausting for a defense to be like, okay, it's third and five. And you know that if it's for and 2 lost, we're still going to go. Right. If they get one or two yards, they're going to go for it on fourth down and they're going to get it a lot of the time. And, like, but that's not something Sean would ever do. You know, like, he's not going to, he's at this point, he's not going to kind of renovate his thinking around that. And you could go both ways with it. You could say, well, it's tried and true. It's worked. Why would we change it now? Or you could say, like, people are passing you by. And we'll that's true from like a sports science perspective too. Like, I think there are ways you can
2: get healthier without saying, well, it's just injury luck, <laughs> right? I'm very interested to see how this new era of Sean Payton goes in Denver, because I, I don't know. I, I have a lot of questions, obviously, from the quarterback to now everything, you know, the, the staff he's even brought in around him to now the assets they have lost in the dealing for him and his quarterback uh it's it's gonna be interesting i you know sean's gonna also feel that burn of not having a guy like drew Brees anymore either yeah i agree with that but all right
3: let's wrap that segment up we're gonna come back and we're gonna go through these mock drafts for that mock it, it up all right this is inside black and gold stick around And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold, and it's that time, it's mock draft season. Ah, you know, like, I hate mock drafts, I'm going to be honest. They drive me insane, and it's not because people get it wrong, it's because by the time the draft rolls around, there have been so many mock drafts, and there's consensus mock drafts, and this and that, and like Daniel Jeremiah, and... Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay, and they had their mocks. And then you see, like, oh, these are the top players available and blah, blah, blah. And then the draft comes and it's like, well, this isn't the player that's on that is next on the list. They did it wrong. Like, and it's right. like, no, because these are, these are guesses. These are guesses. A lot of them are educated guesses, but they're still guesses. And so, like, when I use mock drafts, it's more about how am I differentiate? How am I making a decision between player A and player B? Not, okay, this is the, objectively correct player to draft because that just does not exist all that said we're going to go through all the players that people have decided are objectively the best player to draft for the Saints and this first segment's going to be at 29 the second segment we're going to be talking about 40 and 112 and it's a little confusing when you go through because some have it labeled 30 some have it labeled 29 you know right. but it's going to be the 29th player off the board and I, I guess I'll ask there's 23 mock drafts here. One position was drafted twice as much as the next highest position. What position do you think it is? Offensive line? No. Running back? Nope. Corner? Nope. Defensive
2: tackle? Yes. All right. Interior
3: (laughs) defensive line. Of the 23 mock drafts, eight of them were defensive tackles or nose tackles or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Then the next highest was edge rushers, which you had four of them. So... Half of these mock drafts, half of the 23 mock drafts I looked at have the Saints drafting a defensive lineman. And I think part of that is, and it is the Dennis Allen effect. And the other part of that is like, I am interested to see how much of the draft strategy changes without Sean in the building. And we saw it kind of last year, like you drafted a wide receiver in the first round. It's not something that Sean did very often, right? You obviously did get Brandon Cooks, but you know, traditionally speaking, he was looking at, to build through the lines. Does that change with Dennis Allen in year two? And, you know, you obviously have a lot more of the Dennis Allen staff in there now, right? So he's going to lean on them, but they're going to have different inputs than the kind of trained Sean Payton staff might've had in the past. So I, I do think it's interesting, but the mock drafters clearly think defensive tackle is where the Saints are going to look. And it's hard to disagree. Defensive tackle was a very weak point for this team last year.
2: That's what I was saying. Shame on me for saying being so long to get to defensive tackle because I agree that interior needs a a lot of work there. And there's there's questions, obviously, with just who's going to be even around next season for this team.
3: There were three defensive tackles who got picked multiple times in this draft. No one, I'm sorry, in this mock roundup, no one appeared more than twice in any first round but the guys who were picked multiple times, Brian Brzee, which I think is partially because he's got like a similar name to Breeze. I don't know, but it's B-R-E-S-E-E, and he's the defensive lineman out of Clemson. Then Mozzie Smith, defensive lineman out of Michigan, and Kalasia Cansey. I don't know if I'm saying that first name right, defensive lineman out of Pitt. I think all three of those are really intriguing options. I don't know a ton about Brzee because... I have, didn't get to watch a lot of ACC football and they kind of sucked. So it didn't really, didn't really get to me, but I looked up a few of his clips before coming on here. And I, yeah, I can see the vision there, just a, a behemoth of a man. And you look at some like the, you know, Dexter Lawrence is a guy who you might be able to compare him to another Clemson guy. And if you watch any giants games, he's a game wrecker. And you see, like, you can understand why it would kind of annoy people because interior linemen in general just don't have that kind of like sexiness about them where they're going to be making these huge plays. But when you get a true game-wrecking interior lineman, it changes the game. And so I I think those all three of those would be interesting options. With
2: Brissy, you think he's someone though that would really legitimately be around at 29? Well, that's why it's tough. Like I have no idea who's going to be around at 29 because
3: there's so many variables. But traditionally speaking, interior linemen... Are not the top end picks off the board.
2: So, yes. Unless unless you're, I guess, truly, you know, upper echelon elite.
3: Yeah. So, like, I think will all three of these guys be available at 29? Probably not. Will one or two of them be available? Yes. And that's why your draft board is important. It's not just, okay, we're picking this guy and no one else. The whole like Kevin Coster draft day thing, which is just no, no team has ever done that. At least not a good team. Maybe maybe the Raiders. Maybe, maybe like the, the Al Davis Raiders, where it's like, oh, Darius Hayward Bay or no one. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. And so there were two other players who got picked more than once. One of them I think is a mistake, and that's Drew Sanders, the linebacker out of Arkansas. This team is not drafting a linebacker in the first round. It's just not gonna happen.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't see why you would right there, especially you're going to probably be spending money, some money to bring back a guy like a Caden Ellis. So I I don't know about investing even uh, more draft capital into that position. And I I don't know if that is a top get on the, in this year's draft board kind of deal.
3: I mean, I don't know, like it's possible, right? Like he might, he's going to be one of the top linebackers available. I just think conceptually you've seen how this team wants to build its defense. And that is drafting the lines drafting the safety position the cornerback position and then you're going to sign linebackers like that's what you do um they did draft pete werner in the second round but that's that's a rarity that is not going to be what they're going to do every year and it's also not a need it might be in two years when you know presumably demario davis is retired at some point but right now it's not so i i think that's a miss but more than one person decided Drew sanders i just think it's like like the saints haven't drafted a linebacker in the first round since Stefan Anthony. And, and that would change this year. I don't know. It's not like he got like bumper pool. It's like an all time great name coming in.
2: No, it would have to be something obviously where uh, I'm not, they're, they're enamored by a guy like Drew Sanders, I guess obviously could happen kind of thing.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, the combines coming up and we're going to get a much better picture of, of who teams are drawn to, I think. And, you know, so there's going to be workout phenoms and you're going to people are going to fall in love with them. And uh, but I I still I don't I never look at linebacker in the first round. I just don't. It's just not a position that the Saints draft. But moving on, th- this next player who was drafted multiple times, I think, is a very realistic target if he's available. And that's the Osiris Torrance, who is an interior offensive lineman out of Florida. He was another guy who was picked more than once. He was at the senior bowl. He was very impressive. And the only question I have isn't like whether the Saints would be interested in him or whether that he would be a good pick for them at 29. It's does he make it to 29? Because I think he has been that impressive.
2: Yeah, that's definitely a name that playing around with the different mock draft simulators is someone that's been in my my cone of availability at 29. And is definitely obviously on, on the radar and interesting just because I know that Saints fans usually – you know, groan and roll their eyes when the Saints end end up going offensive lineman in the first round. Yeah. And and I hate it because it's usually the right pick.
3: And (laughs) one of the reasons you think you end up with with an interior lineman at that point in the draft is because there's a point where you're trying to draft at the top of the position tier that you are. And a lot of times the interior linemen are kind of pushed down. By teams knowing that they need a tackle, right? Knowing that they the left tackle of the future is the most important position. And you can be a little creative with your interior linemen. And so you might get it, you might get a discount at that position, but it is still wildly important. And um, I think that you know, if if you're someone who also complains, that this is the thing. If you are someone who's constantly complaining about Andres Pete and that he's never available and he's always hurt, yeah. you can't also complain when they draft his replacement. And that's what this would be. It is a, another young first round lineman who is going to shore up the weakest part of your, of your offensive line. And I think it would be a great get. He's also a local guy. He went to UL and then he followed Billy Napier down to Florida. So, you know, and he's so you got the sec experience, right? You You kind of check that box where if you can if you can block the pass rushers in the SEC, you can pretty much block anybody. So I, I think he'd be a, he'd be a good get, and I think the other we talked about another kid from Michigan who could be a later round take as a center that could transition to guard. But I think all th- all those five picks are interesting. Um, some of the others that I thought were interesting was Bajon Robinson, who's a running back out of Texas. Yeah. I find it hard to believe the Saints go at running back at twenty nine. But if they are really concerned about Alvin Kamara's availability, maybe they tilt. I don't think it's likely, but he's the top running back on the board. I think so. You'd be if you're going to do it, you better get the top guy.
2: Yeah, and it, do you think that? I mean, there's a chance he he might be off the board even by then. I, I know that the running back position has been devalued so much over the years, but I feel like Robinson probably won't be there for the Saints. I, I wouldn't imagine. He, he would be, but that that's, it's, I guess it's a possibility, but Jamar Gibbs is another one that comes up to me as a name. And I guess maybe more of a second round running back for them. I, I don't, I'm not really sure on where Gibbs has been landing in mocks. If, if even I guess having two running backs go in the round one is pretty unlikely. He is here. He is one of the picks okay. in, in one of these mocks,
3: but I don't think he's a round one guy. Like, it's just very, very rare where you see mul- multiple running backs go in the, in the first round, and I don't think this is going to be that year. But I think running back and wide receiver are the two positions that really pop the most at the combine because you get right. to see the athleticism, and you get to see the 40 times, and you get to see the agility. And so I think if you're a running back like Leonard Fournette, wasn't going to be a top five pick until he showed up at a combine weighing like 235 pounds and running like a 4 <laughs> right? Like that's when he became a top five pick. But like that's – I'd, I'd be surprised if that happens this year. A few other interesting ones. Dalton Kincaid, tight end out of Utah. I think that's unlikely. Derek Hall, edge rusher at Auburn. Siaki Ika, defensive lineman out of Baylor. He's another popular pick. Yeah, that's been one line. that's popped up a lot of my, my yeah. you know, simulators. And then Jackson Smith and Jigba. And anytime there's an Ohio State player who's in the vicinity of somewhere the Saints can go after them, I'll look at it because you'd be foolish not to. But I just cannot. There's just no way that I will co-sign a mock
2: draft that has the Saints drafting a wide receiver back-to-back years. I don't care. I'd be how- on board with it just because I want to see uh, Mike Haas and Deuce McAllister see this, the name in Jigba. and Jigba. And- and just, I guess, once you know how to say it, it's not as intimidating as it's spelled. Yeah, I mean, the the temptation to have a all
3: Ohio State receiving core is probably, you know, up there in the list of things the Saints want. But I'd be surprised. Kayshawn Booty is also on here. I think that Kayshawn Booty is a bust, to be honest with you. Like, I, I, the Saints aren't going to draft him, and I think he's probably a, a day two wide receiver who's going to go day one because. This is a pretty weak wide receiver draft class. I just haven't seen anything out of K. Booty that feels like it's a wide receiver, like a like a first, re- like a day one wide receiver, other than that
2: game against Ole Miss two years ago. Right, you say that, but watch the the Chiefs will take him with the last pick in round one. And they'll end up being a sensation over there.
3: Well, I mean, he's going to be. I think he's going to be good. A first round wide receiver is a stretch to me. Like you're talking about Justin Jefferson, right? Ceiling, exactly. Right? exactly. And uh, yeah, but I mean, he's going to get the benefit of the doubt just because of how good LSU receivers have been, right? Like there's been so many good LSU receivers that it's basically a wide receiver factory at this point. So he's going to get that, you know, that little push up, right? Like everyone wants a Jamar Chase, a Justin Jefferson, an Odell Beckham Jr., a Jarvis Landry. So why not? Why can't he be the next guy? But I, feel I, like- I
2: don't see it. I feel like, though, there was, I mean, at least locally, there was a big obvious disappointment from him this season, and it just seemed like there there was some kind of strife. There was some kind of issue with Brian Kelly from the start that kind of got smoothed over, and they were trying to, it seemed, work through things over there. But it, it, I don't know. It just never felt like Booty was on board with what the new realm regime was bringing in kind of thing. I mean, he's not a guy. If you
3: were starting a team from day one, you would not pair Jaden Daniels and Kayshawn booty. So for that alone, it just didn't work very well. Like Jaden is not like a hyper accurate guy. He's going to hit his first read. He's going to run a lot of the time. And Kayshawn's a guy who's trying to get open, right? He's trying to extend, like get downfield. And it just didn't, it wasn't a good combination. That's why I was surprised when he initially said he was going to come back. Cause like, I, I think anyone could see that that was not an ideal combination. Um, but, yeah, so going on, you know, those are the really the interesting picks. There was also Zay Flowers, as a wide receiver at Boston College. Again, I don't see the Saints drafting another wide receiver in the first round, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do, maybe on day two, go after a wide receiver. What about that Here's kid, a name. Did you mention the tight end at all, Michael Mayer? Notre Dame? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not in the first round for the Saints. They got Dalton Kincaid was the tight end here. It could be Ooh, a position that they go after, especially now that they brought in a – high-profile tight ends coach, but um, Michael Mayer is not on here. Tui, Tua Paluto, yeah. edge rusher out of USC. Cam Smith, quarterback, South Carolina. Derek Hall, Auburn. Lucas Van Ness, defensive lineman out of Iowa. And there was one more. Oh, Nolan Smith, edge rusher out of Georgia. So, yeah, I mean, 12 of these picks were defensive linemen. Three of them were wide receivers, which surprised me. Two of them were interior offensive linemen, two running backs, one, two defensive backs, a linebacker, and a tight end, and that's yeah, the round. I, I couldn't see them going edge rusher again this year in round one, kind of thing. Now, and one one position that's notably lacking, quarterback. Yeah, I think that's, that's interesting. Right, that says a lot. Like not a single. Like these are 20, 23 mock drafts from unaffiliated sources. Like I go through NFL mock draft database, which is a great site if you haven't checked it out. They he just compiles all the mock drafts from all these sites i go i tend to like gravitate toward the higher profile ones and i'm like not grabbing every fan-sided mock draft right but um you know you're talking about a lot of cbs sports a lot of uh like the draft network pro football network athlon stuff like that and so that's where you ended up not a single one of these said okay we're going quarterback uh i think that's partially because of the names available at this point you're not talking about Uh, Anthony Richardson, you're not talking about Will Levis, you're talking about Tanner McKee and Hendon Hooker and guys like that available. And not a single one of these mock drafts had the Saints going after one of those names in the first round. So that could
2: change. Yeah, I know. I think it's interesting. Hendon Hooker's definitely been the popular one that, and we've talked about, I think, too, if, if the Saints really do think he is their guy, pulling the trigger in round one for a guy of his talent isn't out of the question. Well, I mean... I
3: don't think they will. But if they identify him as that guy, right, then they could. Right. I don't think that will be the case. But like, I don't I also don't think that if you identify a guy and be like, oh, we think he's gonna be our next franchise cornerstone quarterback, that you just say, Oh, we'll wait until 40. <laughs> yeah, we'll wait until the second round. I don't think he would do that. Because well, like the- fundamentally it doesn't make sense.
2: The, the more I thought about it, too, just to have that fifth-year option, obviously, is huge, too.
3: Yeah, especially for a guy who might take a little while.
2: Yeah, yeah, Although, you've exactly.
3: seen, like, the Giants didn't even pick up Daniel Jones' fifth-year option. So, maybe it's not as worthwhile as it sounds because <laughs> it's, like, it's not a cheap option. It's, <laughs> like, going to be, like, $26 million because, like, the average of the top 10 salaries at the position, right? right so, right. it's, like, I mean, you're not really getting a discount. It just gives you a little extra time to come to that deal. But, yeah. all right let's wrap that segment up and we'll come back and we'll talk about some of the second and third round guys and I also want to talk about a potential trade option which we got some some odds on and uh, we can close out with that but all right stick around on inside black. All right, we're back on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak, with Steve Geller. Hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. We're going through some mock drafts. I went and I rounded up 23 different mock drafts to kind of get an idea of who this. the general consensus is that the Saints will be targeting. These will all be wrong. Well, maybe one of them will be right. Well, a majority of them will be wrong. Um, either way, so there was 23 one round mock drafts of those eight had the second or third round. And so that's what we're going to go through is the players that maybe fell out of the first round and the saints got at number 40. Um, And in this round, you know, he talked about all 23, none of them had a quarterback in round two, there was two of the eight mock drafts had the saints taking a quarterback. One of them was Tanner McKee, quarterback out of Stanford. The other was Hendon Hooker, quarterback out of Tennessee. And I get it. I don't think either of those guys is going to be the pick in the second round because I just don't think that they're – I just don't see the upside. I I don't know enough about Tanner McKee to to make a decision, but I just – I don't know. Like Everyone tells me Hendon Hooker is the guy.
2: I just – I don't see it. I really just don't. It really starts bringing in, I guess, more doubt, too, when everyone starts jumping on the bandwagon, too. Yeah, right. Once everyone agrees, (laughs) that's when I know it's wrong. Right? Everyone just
3: hops on. Yeah, Steve's a Hendon Hooker fan. He's wearing a yellow shirt. Tennessee South.
2: Yeah, Yeah, but again,
3: this is another round where three of the eight picks are defensive linemen. Siaki Ika, in one of these, fell to the second round. He's a guy who you also saw. Mozzie Smith, another guy that the Saints – were linked to twice in the first round, was picked again here, guy out of Michigan. And so he's a guy, I, I I think he is an interesting, if the Saints go defensive line, I think he is an interesting target, maybe at 40, right? I don't know if he would still be around by that point. And then the other one is Kalajikansi. So all three of these picks were names that were picked in the first round of a different mock draft for the Saints, which I, I thought was interesting. So like there is a lot of connection between these these mock drafts in – there's like eight or nine names that are very popular as it pertains to the Saints.
2: Yeah, and I mean, you we'll typically see that, and I think that, you know, we're going to see – we'll probably see all this shifting and changing again after the combine,
1: <laughs> obviously. Yeah. yeah.
2: It just – it'll be it'll all shift. different.
3: And then they'll pick, you know, John Doe out of North, yeah. Mid, Southwestern State – from and Provo or something, every, you know, it that's and everyone will get mad about it. It's right. Like, that's like, not wait, who wait. they said they were gonna
2: draft. And they, no one had that. Yeah. What are they doing?
3: Right. Well, it doesn't help when the last two times they've done
2: that it didn't it hasn't work. gone well. Right. That's right. why it's like picking picking defensive end in that first round right now. It's like, all right, you did you did great Will Smith, you did great the Cam Jordan after that. Nah, not so great. Well,
3: but it's like if you're going to pick a guy out of the middle of nowhere, you know, or like for, they like Texas, right? They like Houston. They like UT San Antonio. Big, like these in Texas, right. Aren't NFL factories. If you're going to do that, they got to be they got to hit like you can't you don't get the benefit of the doubt after, you know, like you you miss multiple times. Then it's like, guys, like thankfully, Cesar Ruiz picked it up this year. So it wasn't like, geez. Their last four first round picks were were rough because they didn't have one in twenty nineteen. Obviously, they they Chris Olave and and uh, Trevor Penning I think are did well in their rookie seasons, but like they, they had they had a run where they had Marcus Davenport, and then they didn't have a first round pick in twenty nineteen because of Marcus Davenport. Twenty twenty Cesar Ruiz, twenty twenty one Peyton Turner. Yeah, it's not good.
2: No, just brutal. And man, I, I'm hoping that. Davenport can do something, but I just don't know if it's in a Saints uniform even anymore. It'll be it'll be curious to see what happens with his market. Uh, I just don't know if there is going to be a market for him. Like I I think I've said before, if there anyone is going to be willing to take a risk on that talent because we all know it's there. We've seen the flashes, but it's just been way too inconsistent. And just a half a sack this year kind of makes a lot of people jump off any kind of hope that there was for this guy to make any kind of headway in the league for good reason. (laughs) I mean,
3: you have an entire season and play most of the games and have a half sack. uh, There's questions to not only be asked about like physically, there's questions to be asked about like mentally, like is your head really like, are you invested? Are you emotionally invested? And uh, like, I think more often than people realize that ends up being like a very, a, a legitimate factor in why some players kind of fall off. Um I know Thomas Dimitrov like mentioned Vic Beasley as a guy who he would he would like put in that bucket. And if you remember Vic Beasley he led the league in sacks one year and then it's like you he never heard from him again. Gosh, I think he's in the I, XFL now. It's wild.
2: So he's still making money playing football just not not nearly as much. <laughs> but yeah just to go from that you know he was able to do it on the top level too but Jen just never was able to to duplicate it though.
3: Right. Like there's no question that Vic Beasley is an immensely talented pass rusher. Like you saw it. They went to the Super Bowl and he was like the best player on their defense. And but it was like he just didn't like he just wasn't in it like his heart wasn't in it. And it's like that's when that is the case. And you have to ask that question seriously about Mark Stavenport. um, You don't know. You don't know. Maybe maybe you can flip that
2: switch. Uh, I just I'm just not sure. See, th- um, for me, I, I, my biggest question with him is is really not the the heart. It's definitely self confidence. That's and, part of it too. Yeah, confidence is another another factor. Man, he's such. It's like a, I think we've talked about this before. I equate it to the to the swingers, and I'm like, yeah, I go up to him. I'm like, you don't even know you're the, you're this big bear with claws, and it's like you should be able to maul these people. And I, I don't know what his self doubt is, but it definitely comes across too often on the field. So should we? Try to get Vince Vaughn to give him a pep talk. I think Sean's
3: done that before, honestly. He has been in the Superdome. I've, yeah, I think Vaughn's been there, so who knows? Um, there's one <laughs> other that that's worth talking about. JL Skinner is a safety out of Boise State. I do think it's interesting how few of these mocks have the Saints linked to a defensive back, but I think safety is a position that you could see them target. Very easily, yeah. And and in part because like that's where you've seen the Saints build, right? They draft safeties and they sign veteran safeties. They do not sign safeties that they drafted to a second deal (laughs) because they feel like they can bring in another safety at their peak. Like safeties reach their peak very quickly and level off. Right. And they were, and they stay there for a long time. And I think that's where, like, if you're doing the math of why the saints do what they do, that's it. Like you can draft a Kenny Vaccaro and get five really good seasons and then say, see ya." You can draft a Marcus Williams and get five really good seasons and say, see ya. And then you can bring in a Malcolm Jenkins and get the last three really good seasons. And then, you know, Tyron Matthew and uh, you know, so like I think knowing that it's not re- unrealistic to think safety is a position they could target.
2: No, I definitely think, especially with a guy like Dennis Allen head coach being a, you know, secondary focused kind of uh, defensive coordinator. Um, his, you know, his teeth cut in that area linking up with more talent in the secondary is definitely a big bonus for this squad. And we saw them do it. We, they loaded up last year, uh, adding corner, you know, and on Alante Taylor when nobody mm-hmm. expected that to happen.
3: Right. Like they do they, they're not afraid to draft on a strength, especially when you add to the fact that safeties cornerbacks are traditionally very high value, special teams players. Yeah. Like very good they're point. athletes that can tackle. And that's what you need on special teams. Um, so I think it adds a little bit of, you know, it's like if you're on the fence, it, it can elevate a guy a little bit um, because they'll be able to contribute in year one. Whereas like a, a wide receiver, like a Chris Olave, for example, he's not a special teams guy. Like he, he cannot play special teams. He'll die. You don't <laughs> want to do that. No. And even like linebackers, some linebackers can are very good on special teams, but not all linebackers have the you know versatility to do that well. And you can bring in. There's linebackers are a dime a dozen that can go play in special teams. So anyway, so let's just wrap up the third round here. There's only five third round mocks in this in this group. Okay, two of them you got interior linemen. So I think that's a pretty good consensus of like yeah they're probably going to address the interior line on offense and defense in the first uh, by day two. Definitely one of them, maybe both. And this one, you have Joe Tipman out of Wisconsin. They do like Wisconsin linemen, clearly. Steve Avila, interior lineman out of TCU. You also had Hendon Hooker again here in the third round, which I do think he's he could be available in the third round. Zach Evans, running back out of Ole Miss. Keon White, defensive end out of Georgia Tech. And then another defensive tackle,
2: Keanu Brown out of Wisconsin. Like you exactly mentioned right there, and it's like the big shrug of who really knows – We've seen, I'm sure you've seen, I'm saying we've seen, but I, I've seen, we've seen, they've seen, you've seen. And then Hooker's gone in the first round of mock drafts. He's gone in the second, he's gone in the third. It's like, where, where is that true value for the quarterback there? And because I could very much see there being that crazy rush of signal callers in the first round and people get anxious or nervous, or maybe they do want that fifth round option for him. And there is that move there. So it's, it's so tough. Uh, to gauge in mock drafts, obviously because all the trades that are anticipated to happen, but also if people just go cuckoo over quarterbacks. Speaking of quarterbacks, people are going cuckoo over yeah. and this is worth bringing up
3: in this segment just because it will probably cost you maybe your first three picks, right? it, it is Justin Fields. Ooh. we got odds in the inbox from bet online. Justin Fields next team the bears are the favorite but not that by that much they're plus 300 and the reason being they're obviously at the top of the draft and if mm-hmm. the bears decide that they would rather have a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud then you know okay dangle Justin Fields and see what you can get and and double down the bucks are the second highest the Bucs have the second best odds at plus 400 saints number 3 at plus 475 about 5 to 1. Commanders are next, then the Ravens, and then the Panthers at about 10 to 1. So it's pretty clear that like, you know, between the Bucks and the Saints, there's a lot of thought that they could be in the Justin Fields market, and I think it's intriguing. I don't know if if he's the guy you would go all in for, but they did trade two first round picks to get him. They'll probably want that back, right? So, would you trade this year's first and next year's first for Justin
2: Fields? I would definitely be interested in doing a deal for for Fields. I'm not sure. Ooh, yeah, that's that's a pretty steep tag. But I have I've been more impressed with what I've seen than I thought I was going to be. So, yeah, I, 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 for for two first round picks, I don't think I would do that. I would. You would um, pull the trigger, huh? I would, because like, look at this way. Like, I guess this I, one's for, kind of a, an early second round pick you could consider. Yeah. The you're 20. talking about the 29 this year. Yeah. yeah, Right. right. So it's
3: not like you're giving up a top end pick. If it was the 10, I might think differently. But if you're lucky, if you're thinking about, oh, we're going to draft Henning Hooker and he's going to develop into something, Justin Fields would be like the top end of what you could hope for. I, I know like he's gotten a lot of criticism from what I have seen. He is going to be a very good quarterback in the NFL for a long time. That's what you have to embrace the fact that he is a running back, but like that shouldn't be a problem, right? Like you need to be able to do that. And the saints can do that, right? Like you have to be able to incorporate his legs. And if you are not going to do that, then don't trade for him. But if you are willing to use it to its fullest extent, then yes, For the same reasons I would love Lamar Jackson in this offense, I would love Justin Fields in this offense. But I think Justin, as a thrower, is a more consistent player than Lamar. I don't know why there's this idea that he can't throw. He has a great arm. And I think it's more of a decision-making thing.
2: That's another thing. And the the Bears, we saw, try to upgrade that by trading for Chase Claypool, but they don't have much in the area of of wide receivers to throw to there.
3: No, and it is kind of funny because it's like if the Saints traded their first-round pick, their next two first-round picks, Right, include like this year's and next year's. It would be the second time that Justin Fields had landed on a team who didn't have a first round pick the next year because they brought him in because the Bears traded up to get him. I think they traded to number eleven with the Giants, and the Giants traded back, obviously, and drafted Kadarius Tony, <laughs> who just won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs. <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of interesting if you look at like the the like how that the balance of that trade in the end benefited the Chiefs more than. The Bears or the Giants.
2: (laughs) What's crazy to me in all of it, though, is what's changed in Chicago for them to have this flipping philosophy at quarterback where they're ready to move on already from him. It's not like there's a new staff in there.
3: What's changed is you have the number one pick in the draft. That's what's changed. And in many instances, you would not get a chance at the top quarterback in the draft. So like, like... When you're there, you have to like this. The Colts moved on from Peyton Manning to draft Andrew Luck. Peyton Manning went and won a Super Bowl with the Broncos. Peyton Manning threw 55 touchdown passes with the Broncos. He was still Peyton Manning, but you had a chance at Andrew Luck and you took it. And so that's where, you know, it's like Kyler Murray, right? They drafted Josh Rosen in the top 10. But I mean, with that though, it's like you just got this guy with number 11 overall. You know what I mean? And you, well, I I would argue that it's worse (laughs) than that because you traded up to number 11. (laughs) Right. So you gave up a future first round pick to get him. But still, it's not often that you end up with a chance to take the top quarterback in the draft. Like if this was Joe Burrow,
2: would you not have felt like yes, of course they would draft Joe Burrow, right? I guess maybe yeah, the if it was a slam dunk prospect maybe to be right. like that. I guess and So be... if you if you feel that CJ Stroud or Bryce Young is that, right,
3: okay. That's why you do it. But if you don't, then no, you stick with Justin Fields, right? But you also know that you can get a good return for Justin Fields. And I don't think that the Saints would have to give up two firsts. They might be able to get away with like a first this year and the second next year that the Broncos sent over. But either way, you're going to be paying a premium. And it's really just a question of, do you think he's that guy? And I think I'm desperate enough to have a a quarterback that I don't have to wonder about that I would do it.
2: Yeah, I think there was early on, like in fantasy football, he was lighting up. Uh, Justin Fields was lighting things up and really, you know, made me take more attention to him because I I really didn't think he was going to look as good as he did this year at quarterback and was still struggling with the lack of weapons around him in Chicago. I just wonder even what the Bears organization (laughs) <laughs> is doing to be thinking about moving on from the eleventh overall pick? That's wild to me. Well, and right, I, because I, I because in order would. to trade up, in order to give up those assets and trade up, you had to feel very confident about right. Justin Fields. <laughs> yeah, like and, so. To me, it's like, what is there's, and I get, I get it. Like you're saying, it's the number one pick, and how often do you get and all, but there should be more of this outpouring of, oh great, what can we cash in now to load up around. Justin Fields, instead of trying to replace him. It's just weird that that's the story that's come out from all this.
3: What I will say is Ryan Poles, the new GM of the Bears, is not the guy who made the trade for Justin Fields. He came in 2022. So it's possible that maybe he doesn't think as highly of Justin as his predecessor, right? So like in that sense, I think you might see that 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 might – explain some of that differing value projection that you're looking at where yeah if Ryan was the GM then maybe he wouldn't have drafted Justin at all so I don't know funny funny enough like Andy Dalton was the bridge to Justin Fields in 2021
2: it could all be just to, to see where your value is for everything where your value is what what you could get a return for the first round pick what you can get on a return for Fields and you kind of you know weigh that out
3: yeah Hey, maybe maybe you trade for Justin Fields and you re-sign Andy as his backup. A match made in Chi Town.
2: You know what? I don't I don't want that to happen because somehow then Fields will get hurt and, and then Andy we've got will got Andy roll the rest of the
3: way. It's inevitable.
2: But alright, that's all I got. Anything inevitable. else you want to add before we get out of here? No sir. I'm ready to go uh, Lundy Grot up.
3: Yeah. Enjoy all this information about mock drafts. That will be wrong. <laughs>
2: All right, y'all. Oh, thanks for listening. Thanks, sweet ass. Peace.